Hey, coming up, I've got a really fun interview with guitarist Key Marcello. He played in that band of the 80s, Europe, and now he's got a band with Tommy Hart of Fair Warning. It's called Out of This World, and it's really good melodic rock. And we're going to talk about the new album, his future plans with shows. We're going to talk about the old days with Europe and doing shows with Def Leppard, why Bob Rock didn't produce for Europe, and the number one hit single that Europe turned down. So all this and more. I'm terrible with lighting. You probably know more about that as being on stage and stuff. I'm sure you have to know a little bit, right? Well, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of light here. I'm actually in a temporary little room. I'm, I'm rebuilding my studio, so I'm sitting here right now. But it's fine. Oh. We can see each other. Okay, yeah, we can see each other, so that's good. Yeah, I'm always just – it's funny, you guys – like, I I interview so many musicians, like these big-time producer rock stars, and sometimes they struggle with the tech things and uh, and that kind of stuff with the lighting. And so I thought you guys were experts, but it seems like nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> I, I, exactly. That's probably the answer right there. But I think a lot of musicians like myself – the technical part, it doesn't come with it at all. I mean, I, I played the guitar and, and, and that's pretty much it. I, I yeah, okay. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. For me, it's like I love the interviews, but I hate all the technical, the lighting, the audio, and the production. Some people love that stuff, though. They like that more than the actual interviews, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Right? Exactly. Like, isn't there a lot of musicians that you play with that are really into, like, tech and gear and all the technical stuff like Eddie Van Halen, they say he used to build his own guitars. That's amazing. Yeah. But I know a lot, I know a lot of people like that, but, uh, uh, I was never that guy. I, I yeah. just can't, you know, I, I'm too busy. I, I'm thinking about music 24 seven. So, so that's enough. I don't have more hours. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah. So let's talk about this new album. The band's called out of this world. Um, which is, you know, it's kind of similar to the Ronnie James Dio's uh, Heaven or Hell, which is like it's named after the album. So uh, and now was, was this album produced or just mixed by Ron Nevison? I produced it and, and Ron mixed it. Uh, uh, it was absolutely great working with Ronnie. And as, as I'm sure, you know, we, we worked together on Europe's album from 1988. You know, so we haven't worked with each other for 30 plus years. And uh, it's funny. Once we get started, it's like no time passed at all. You know, it's back to normal. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> because I'm trying to get him on the show. Actually, uh, we've been in touch, but I think he lives in Seattle, right? Well, he lives in the state of Washington. I don't yeah, think yeah, he yeah. actually lives. It's actually closer to to Portland, uh, Oregon. Uh, yeah. Emailing stuff and 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 uh, electronic, you're doing it because because you're in Sweden, right? Or are you are you somewhere else? Yeah. I, I'm in Gothenburg, Sweden. But check this out. I mean, I got I got a couple of Genlex in my studio, and there's a new streaming service that I never heard of that his engineer uh, guided me into, and you can I could actually set real time and see Ron instead of Washington in his house in his studio moving the levers on the, on the mixing board, it's, you know, with picture and sound real time. Wow. The future is here, mate. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I'm still having some hangups with my my tech doing these interviews with the streaming. But so this, you're not having any of those like hangups where they that it interrupts the stream or anything like that. Well, well, obviously, the faster your line is, the better it is. You know, preferably yeah. you need like a real fast line, which I do not have. I have like a semi-fast line, but it was enough for this occasion. You know, okay, the fiber. Yeah, the you say you're not really into the tech stuff, but I didn't know that you produced this because the production sounds really good. It's like I just had Mike Reno from Loverboy on and his new song. I told him I was like, if you made this song in the '80s, it would have cost five million dollars. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I mean, the production on this album, on Out of This World, is so it's like top notch. I mean, it's, it has that '80s sound, but the production is way better than anything that was ever made in the '80s because of the technology. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Well, I'm, I am a producer and I've, I've been keeping on producing since uh, since back when I started in, in the early 80s. So that's what I do when I when I not do my own records, obviously. So uh, I really like that part, but, but it's I'm, I'm, a ra- I'm an arranging producer while mm-hmm. sort of Ron Emerson, he's an engineering producer. He knows mm-hmm. all his tech stuff and his producing, so it's sort of two different angles of producing. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely feeling at home with arranging and and, uh, and and writing. For me, it's all the same thing. I write and I arrange and do everything at the same goal, so to speak. You know. Yeah, because the songs are they're very catchy, they're very melodic. I love that they're synthesizers too, because that sounds very reminiscent of the '80s. They just you don't hear that a lot in music today, which. It's kind of sad because I like having something that sounds different. And so if you like that synth sound, I mean, I think it's really cool to hear the like Twilight. That's, I think that's my favorite yeah. song. That, that song is so catchy. Thanks, man. Yeah, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. You know, maybe it makes you, it makes you think of sticks and canvases and a lot of good yeah. stuff. And and uh, I love the synth sound, you know, even Van Halen or whatever. It, it, I just want to bring that back. I really love synthesizers and hard rock. And it's correct. A lot of people forgot the keyboards altogether or just stick in a B3, you know, just for the sake of it. But I really made an effort to try to include the keyboards. Yeah. No, it sounds. I got some help as well. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, so did uh, your singer, Tommy Hart, who's a singer of Fair Warning, and then you worked with him on the Key of Hearts. Does he help write and arrange, or does he just do lyrics, or what is his part in this? On this album, I actually wrote lyrics and, 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 and music, all of it this time, and produced it as well. A lot of it has to do, it's not because I'm sort of egomaniac who wants to do everything himself. It's just because we couldn't physically meet. I live in Gothenburg, Sweden. He lives in Berlin, Germany. So mm. there's a problem right there during the COVID crisis. So uh, we had to do what we could do. And I had, on top of that, the first three songs I wrote for this project was Twilight, Lighting Up My Dark, and In a Million Years, or the first three songs I presented uh, to, to the guys. And uh, they turned out so well. They were the three songs the manager was using to shop a deal for us. And so they just let me, I was on a roll, so they just let me, go with it and go with the flow. And I had like a thousand ideas. So before we knew it, I had a whole album in me and we just continued doing that. On the next album, Tommy is more than welcome to uh, 
participate in the songwriting and lyric writing. I know he's a great lyricist. Yeah. So do you, when you write the songs, you know, I've heard it come from different uh, musicians, different ways. So like, is it just this, I hear like sometimes the song just comes to you and you're just like a receiver and you just write it down. It just comes, or do you try to actually sit down? Okay. I'm going to write a song and then try to craft it. Or how's, how's it work for you? Well, it's like you said, actually, I think it was Keith Richards who said that the songs are already there. They're in the air. Just grab them and pick them down, you know? So I have the same kind of feeling that when I get an idea for a song, it's in my head. And I just it's my job to hear it well enough so I can put it down. I can record a demo of it. And while I'm working with the song, more often than not, the lyric idea comes up just automatically because the song speaks to you and it wants to be about something specific. Most of the time, a lot of the time I struggle with the lyrics, but most of the time you hear in the music what the song is about. Like for instance, Twilight that you mentioned, it's about the uh, the possible last twilight. It's the end of the world, actually. Uh, the last twilight of Homo sapiens, the last uh, twilight of humankind, how would that be? and uh, experience the last twilight and knowing that's the last one that will ever exist. And that makes you, that gives you a lot of inspiration when you create the synth sounds and arrangements and the buildup of the, everything, you know. So I, I, the music gives the lyrics and the lyrics gives the music. So it's sort of a, yeah. Is that inspired by, were you watching a movie about the end of the world or reading an article or a book or something or how did it just came to you? Yeah, well, it's quite obvious we're we're getting close, you know. Just look at the no, <laughs> well, like millions of years, <laughs> global warming and all shit. You know, well, I'm not not that close, but in in geological ages, we're really close. For instance, a, a, a meteor hadn't haven't hit the Earth in seventy five million years, and or is it sixty five million years? I, you know, the numbers are so big. So, uh, so it's about time that it hits us again because that's the ratio about 65, 70 million years between the, the big the big banks of meteorites landing on this. So I don't want to depress all the listeners. <laughs> well, but no, because my friends, they'll send me these articles. Like every every week, I feel like there's some sort of, there's a meteor that almost hit the earth or like it it's coming, but it's not, it's usually not that big. I feel like most of them just burn up in the atmosphere or, yeah, they land yeah. and it's just like a pebble, and so it's not usually not that big of a deal. But I guess you never know when something crazy could happen. Lots of crazy things going on in the world. So, but that's yeah. why we have music to distract us. I feel like I, I listen to music, and it's like it's interesting that I didn't know that's what the song was about because it sounds like such a happy, uplifting song. It doesn't sound like it's like oh, the end of the yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly but i like the the bittersweetness in music when it's both like a, a, a positive energy but at the same time it has a darker side to it you know i like the mixture of the both yeah absolutely well I, it seemed like the reviews i read the album's doing pretty well are you happy with the reviews and the i don't know if you call it sales or streams or the downloads is it is it getting what you expected we first released it in Japan, and it was we kicked ass in Japan. It was amazing. I mean, we went straight to number two, and then number one on the album charts for a month straight. I believe it was we dominated the album charts for the whole spring there in 2021, and uh, so that went really well. We just released it here in the in the rest of the world, 
But I mean, the reviews are absolutely amazing. We're getting 10 out of 10s, five out of fives, a lot of them, I lost count actually. I'm overwhelmed. I never got these kind of reviews ever, you know. With, That's with, amazing. With Europe, we, we generally got pretty lame into reviews because nobody loves it when you're too successful. Uh, Let's face it, you know. So they most of the time, since we were obviously so successful, they were trying to find flaws within the productions or songwriting or whatnot. So this is the first time I'm coming up with something which is so unbelievably positively uh, received from all the, uh, the journalists. I'm very happy about it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So then what's the next step? Are you guys going to tour? Do you have shows you're lining up? or? Well, it, I don't know if you know this, but in Sweden yesterday, they uh, heaved all the, the COVID restrictions. Nobody wears a mask. We can have concerts again. And the same happened in Denmark, Finland, Norway, Great Britain. Uh, uh, it's starting in Germany, Holland, and pretty much all of the EU is going to be open again, you know, this spring. And it's just, we didn't already have no restrictions. I always hear that that's like the model of, of the, the thing, the experiment, because it's all like an experiment to me. And Sweden was the thing where it's like they had no restrictions. They didn't, you guys never locked down, right? Wasn't that the, the country that didn't do that? You got to stop getting your news from Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, I, we had restrictions, man. Yeah, we had okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. I, of Switzerland. I always confuse those two. It, no, I, I mean it, that's generally the reputation Sweden has outside. I, I guess it's because part of it is because uh, Donald Ronald McDonald Trump said uh, in a statement that we were going for herd immunity and we didn't have a lockdown. But it's just not true. We had a lockdown. Where we you did. Yeah, we couldn't go publicly anywhere. The restaurants closed down, you know, and we had the same as pretty much everybody else, you know, but maybe a little lighter than, than a lot of countries, I guess. But uh, we definitely had lo a lockdown. I mean, I was feeling so lonely in the studio sometimes. I live in a house uh, right outside Gothenburg, so not a lot of people pass outside my house. So sometimes when I was in the kitchen, getting a cup of coffee, and the mailman would pass. I would do the wave. That's yeah. the first place, and I saw it days. Wow. Yeah, it was really, it was really, uh, uh, and it, yeah. It, it, it was, was dark, so, but now it's all, now it is lifted. So now it's officially, there are no it's restrictions it's at all? or Nothing. nothing. Just, like, just, just like it was before. And okay, that's interesting. So I, I haven't checked. Are your numbers your numbers are good then, or they just feel like it's? I checked the numbers. I checked the numbers. About ninety percent of the Swedish population have uh, immunity. So uh, partly because due to the fact that a lot of people obviously had the virus, and and uh, also a lot of people had the vaccination shots, which mm -hmm. is crucial. You know, we don't have so many ants anti-vaxxers here which is which always helps so uh, the scientists believe that already in march we will have achieved herd immunity which means the virus is gone it's it lost i mean it still can pop back in different sort of uh, formats but 
it's the same as a coal or or a different sort of uh, what do you call it uh, influenza. The flu, yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. So then, so shows. So then you do have some shows. You're going to start to schedule those then? or? Well, it just started right now. So we, we just have to make, I mean, obviously a lot of people have been afraid of the mere thought standing in the mosh pit of a big festival with 10,000 other people. And I can stand right. that, of course. So we have to see where this lands. I, I know a lot of agents and festival people and managers and agents are having meetings as we speak, you know, trying to figure out how the festival summer is going to pan out. But fingers crossed, I think it's going to be great. So we're going to go on tour as soon as possible. And no-brainer would obviously be to go to Southeast Asia. We were number one in Japan. And just the, the names that me and Tommy can uh, support the band with will make it possible for us to do a Southeast Asian tour. Then e, the EU, we have ideas with a, a, a double bill. Uh, for the EU, and uh, we want to go to the States and, and South America, of course, you know. That'd be cool. to do. Would you do a tour of the States or maybe just some select shows, or how, is that, how would that work? We don't really know yet. I mean, and i got to have a meeting with my manager, uh, an agent, next week, so I probably know more. Oh, did it get dark? <laughs> I disappeared. Yeah. Anyway, so next week I'll know more, I guess. Okay, yeah, and then what about Easy Action? Is that is that band still active? I know you guys played the Sweden Rock Festival a few years back. Is that is that another thing you're still kind of got uh, coals in the fire there, or is that totally uh, defunct right now? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's great, but right now I've been so busy, and a lot of a lot of it depends on me since I produce and write for that one as well. We we have uh, I mean I can think I think you can find a single with it called uh, Dazed. On, on YouTube, uh, uh, but I haven't had time to be quite frank. First of all, right now, I have a solo career as well. I've released five solo albums, and right now I have a hit single in, in the EU. It's a, it's a song called Don't Miss You Much, and then it's on the charts in Germany, in uh, the UK, and uh, Sweden, Denmark, a lot of places in the EU. It's actually... On the, it's been for four consecutive weeks. It's been top ten on the Amazon gas list, which is Germany, Austria, Switzerland, which is wow. the main. So it's going really well. It's called "Don't Miss You Much." Check it out on uh, Spotify. Okay. Uh, um, so I'm doing really well with that as well. I'm working. The new single is coming in April. So as you hear, I got a lot of stuff going on here, and I haven't really had time to think about Easy Action right now. Okay. Now, are you still doing the uh, Rock the Night? That was like a Rock of Ages type of show, or is that still part of your job too, or are you are you done with that? It's the same thing. I, I think I'm done with that. Actually, it's okay. it's a lot. It's a lot of work, and and we did some successful things. We had we did a couple of gigs with uh, uh, one off shows with uh, Mickey D. You know from. Uh, uh, Motorhead and Scorpions playing mm. the drums, and uh, Eric Kieranwald, that's the original singer from uh, Heat, the Swedish band Heat, okay. so, which was great. But I mean, I don't have the time, and I have to limit myself right now and try to focus on the stuff that really goes well. So, right now, it's my solo career, and it's out of this world, and that has to do for now. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to see you guys perform this stuff 
live in the States. That would be really cool. Obviously, I'm in the States, so I'd have to, I don't think I'd be able to fly. I mean, flying to Europe would be really cool too, though. That'd be fun to come see you there. Now, you think you'll do like headlining or you think you try to get a package deal? I mean, probably a package deal. You know, we were talking in terms of uh, uh, a two a bill, you know, us and another band with the same sort of melodic rock music going on. So that, that could be a, where in the States are you, Chuck? Uh, I, right now I'm in uh, Arizona, the, the state of Arizona. Arizona. Right. Yeah. 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 It's really nice right now. It's a good time to come to or do a show. Uh, it's like beautiful from here and through March. And then yeah, to me, April and May are even pretty nice, but uh, in the summer it gets pretty hot. I'll be honest. Oh yeah. I've been there. I've been on tour there in the summer. I remember we had a pool party. I can't remember where in Arizona it was, but we had a pool party and I just bought a new suit like a suit suit, right? So, you know, in the 80s, a lot of guys had a suit and just a T-shirt underneath. It's sort of Miami Vice. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) And I came, you know, I came to the pool, you know, kind of proud about my suit and cigarette in my hand, and the guys just threw me in the pool. (laughs) (laughs) You got a new suit. Well, right, fuck you. Here we go, you know? (laughs) <laughs> oh, but I that's hilarious! I wish we had video of this. Yeah, and I, there was no way I could dry the suit in the hotel room, so I just put it on outside, outdoors, you know, on a tin roof right close to my room. And you know, it took about in the daytime, the day after, it took about an hour for it to dry. That's how dry the air in Arizona is yeah. in the summertime. Oh yeah, it dries fast. So which was that the Def Leppard tour or was that the Bon Jovi one? Uh you know what I can't remember. It could have been the Final Countdown tour, you know, where we did theaters. Okay. We, we did our own tour, no support actor and in the evening with Europe. Uh, that could have been that one. But uh yeah, fun memories. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, so because the, the tour you did with Def Leppard, I mean that had to be some massive audiences what's it like to play in front of a crowd that big first of all i really enjoy doing the sheds the sheds is the top man it's amazing i just love the feeling of the sheds and and as you said i mean it couldn't be a better timing for for any of the bands uh and and we had a time we had the opportunity to time it with a really big success for Def Leppard as well they were number three on the billboard 100 charts with the love bites at the time when we started the tour so everything was sold out it was the only thing that when we came with the tour bus to a new city that's that's the only thing they were talking about on the radio about the show so it really felt like we were the center of attention and all the shows were sold out it was amazing it was like a victory a trail of victory yeah that sounds like a great package is this when they had this like secret thing in this, uh, what was like a secret room under the stage, the Def Leppard. Did you, did you ever get to see that? I don't know. I heard about this. This is just an urban legend. Secret room. On the, I mean, it's not all, you, you can't go underneath the station on all the sheds. Arenas. Okay. But some of them, uh, they were like a trap door. What? There was like a trap door or something that they could and they'd go in there and hook up with girls or something. That's what, that's what I heard. I don't know. I don't want to disappoint you, mate, but that sounds so much like an urban myth. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody was telling me that. 
And then they still have it, but now that instead of hooking up with girls, they have like their juicers and stuff. Cause now those guys are like, they're all like super healthy. But when you were touring with them, they were, they were probably uh, not living so clean of a lifestyle, I'm guessing, in the 80s. Well, Steve, Steve was still alive, but I mean, he was definitely not living a clean lifestyle. But I think that both Joe and Phil stopped drinking. You know, they, they made the decision to uh, stop drinking alcohol. Right before the tour, I guess. So, mm. but it was great, and they're, they're great lads to hang out with, anyway. So it was great for me because when we wanted to go clubbing, you know, Phil was my uh, designated driver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So he's like a vegan, and uh, I mean, the guy's in his sixties, and he he's just ripped. He's got like a six pack. I'm like, totally I don't know. Ripped. It's amazing. What? Yeah, it's amazing. He's so ripped. Yeah, I tried that vegan diet for like ten days, and I gained weight. I didn't. I didn't look like him at all. So I don't. know. He must be doing it different than me. That, but uh, good for him. That's that's great. What about the? Uh, but yeah. So with the other one that you, the other big tour in the eighties, the Bon. It was Bon Jovi, Skid Row, and Vixen. What memories do you have of that tour? Because I'm a huge Skid Row. I'm probably a bigger Skid Row fan than Bon Jovi. But that whole package sounds amazing. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, we met the guys. I think it was the only before Milton Keynes. Then that was the uh, the first time we played together, all of us, and, and it was great. I I I met uh, Sebastian and the other guys a couple of times before, and um, uh, the Bon Jovi guys. Actually, that, that's a pretty cool memory. I got an invitation on my answering machine in LA one day when I was living out there, and and uh, it was. Uh, Rick Savage's girlfriend, then girlfriend, you know, the bass player of Def Leppard. And yeah. she invited me and the band to, me and the guys in Europe, to, to a moving in party in, in Rick's new flat. And, you know, I told the guys, and I said, yeah, it sounds like fun. And we took a cab over there. It was a high riser on Sunset Boulevard. Went up there to the top floor. Amazing apartment. And in, in the apartment was uh, Europe. Def Leppard, Skid Row, Bon Jovi, and and nobody else, just the guys in the band. And to, yeah, two two Asian guys who was doing a walk for us all, you know, and beers. So we had the time which you never get. That was Rick's idea. That all the band, all these bands got to hang out, talk about tour memories, music, you know, whatever, having a beer, walk, just hanging out. Really nice party. <laughs> no, did anyone pick up a guitar? Did you guys jam at all, or was it just all stories? Oh, not at all. I mean, nobody felt like working on a party. <laughs> Is that what it feels like? It's like work when you when you do that kind of. It's not fun to pick up a guitar and just jam, or that's like. Oh, that's like job. I hate it. You know, people <laughs> often try to make me get hand me an acoustic guitar, play something, yeah. deep, and I often tell them to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> It's a free time. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's nice to have a break, but do you typically, how, how often do you play guitar and, and practice your instrument? Do you, do you practice every day or, or how does that work? Absolutely. I mean, I start today with a cup of coffee and, then, and I have the studio in my house. So I go into the studio and I, I just start up the computer and I get going and I write every day. I play the guitar for as well every day. I can't really count the minutes and hours, but 
I definitely pick up the guitar every day, and, and I've been doing so for as long as I can remember. The only advantage being, the, the only exception being, that when I go on holiday with the family, I leave the guitar at home. Okay, now that makes sense. It's nice to have a break, and then you come back and you're refreshed. Yeah. And yeah. In the beginning, when I started doing that, leaving the guitar at home, uh, because in my 20s, I was bringing a guitar on vacation. Uh, uh, when I started leaving at home, I, I discovered that sometimes when I came back after a two-week vacation in the Bahamas or whatnot, I, I could actually play better because the mm. brain had, had absorbed the stuff I've been practicing on prior to the vacation. So I think it's good with the break now and then. Yeah, but what if you have like a really good song idea when you're in the Bahamas and you don't have your guitar? Can you write it on paper or well, just remember? I always carried the dictaphone, you know, so I was singing and stuff and, and you know, saying the chord sequence or whatever. I hear the yeah. songs. And nowadays I just sing right into my iPhone. That's awesome. That's nice to have that uh, feature for sure. Yeah. So when you were in, uh, when you were in Europe, is it what happened with the the Out of This World album? Is there some songs that were were never released? Did those oh, ever mean, get? You mean the Prisoners of Paradise album? Uh, the one after. Uh, I thought it was uh, Out of This World. There was a number of songs that were rejected for the album, like Too Far Gone, Another World, Can't Fake Love. Um, whatever happened to those songs? Uh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Camp Fake that was mine. I wrote that. We used to live out in the Bahamas. You know, I lived in Nassau, and I had my first home studio, actually, in Nassau. I wrote Camp Fake Love there, and what were the other tracks you mentioned? Uh, Too Far Gone and Another World, and then there was a cover song that was actually Diane Warren's demo called Look Away, which ended up being a hit for Chicago. Yeah. The thing is, those songs you mentioned, those are my demos, and, and they never made the album. It was yeah. a bit of politi politics in the whole thing, because Joey just wrote the final countdown, and it was a massive worldwide hit. So he wanted to write, he wanted to be the main writer, and, and in the same time, they lured me into the band, because not, another, not a, lot, a lot of people know this, but I was really successful before, prior to being in Europe. I was in Easy Action, and I was like a sort of a the melodic rock Max Martin, if you wish. You know, I was writing and producing and, and doing really well. So to lure me into the band, their manager told me that I would be a 50-50 songwriter and producer and, and part of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I actually got me to sign all the contracts <clears throat> when we went to the studio, it turned out not to be true. So I only really have one song that I've written by myself is just the beginning on that album and then I co-wrote three other three other songs uh, uh, with Joey and one with Joey and Mick on there uh, so those three songs you mentioned are songs that didn't make the album that I demoed in, in the Bahamas one of them Too Far Gone is on my previous solo album from 2016 and okay. I changed the lyrics uh, oh. So now it's still too far gone in the chorus, but it's called Finger on the Trigger. Okay. You can check that out on Spotify as well. It's very much the same thing. I had to, I found an old quarter inch tape in my storage, you know, and uh, uh, I, I spoke to 
a friend of mine who's an engineer, and he said, if you want to play back that tape, I realized it was from uh, 1987 because it said compass point on the tape uh, box. And I bought a compass point, the studio at the Bahamas. Uh, and he said, if you want to pay, play back a tape that old, you need to bake it first. And I thought he was messing with me. You know what that is? No. It, all, you know, tapes from the mid 80s, uh, they, they lose their mag magnetism. Okay. So it, you know, everything just falls off and you have nothing left. So what they do is they have a, sort of an oven uh, that they put the tapes in and they bake them. And I think it's 60 degrees Celsius or something like that. Or maybe not that much, but it's slightly heated up, which makes it possible to play back the, the tape three or four times so you can make a digital copy. So that's what I had to do. I sent this to a, to a uh, uh, Analog to digital farm where they bake the okay. tape. You send it to a company. You show you don't put it in your own oven and cook it like a bacon cookies or something though. No, it, it, it's not a regular oven. I don't think okay. that would be good. Just check it. I want to make sure. I don't want to give misinformation. I can get kicked off YouTube for that. So I wouldn't recommend that. No, they okay. have like businesses that do this, you know. And I, I used a business here in Sweden that does that a lot. Um, uh, and they have, they have a lot of customers. I mean, think about it. There's a lot of tapes from the 80s and 70s yeah. that used to be digitalized. So, uh, uh, and that's when I when I found Too Far Gone. I I, I just uh, copied the demo and, and re-recorded for my soul album. Mm -hmm. so and the story about uh, uh, the Diane Warren song. It's yeah. interesting too because we were in the studio. Ron brought a cassette with him, and he said, uh, "Diane fucking Warren wrote a song for you guys." And he put it <laughs> in the tape recorder, you know, press play, and I fucking freaked, man! It was amazing. I was dancing. I said, "This is perfect." I could hear my guitars on top of it. I could hear Joey's vocals, the harmonies. Mix organ everything in my head. It was it was already there. It was a Europe song, except and everybody liked it except Joey who said, "No, we're not a fucking cover band." <laughs> oh no! Yeah, because yeah, that, that was a big hit. That was a number one hit for Chicago, I think. Right? Yeah, because what happens when we? That's when I realized that. The Europe's manager, Thomas Erdmann, wasn't really Europe's manager. It was Joey Tempest's manager. It's a big difference if you think about it. And they uh, had like sort of a veto. So the four of us in the band wanted to do record this song, you know, with I own more and so. And um, but the manager and Joey felt differently, so we never did. And what happened then? Well, of course, Ron pitches this to the next band he produces, which is Chicago. They record it, and it's a number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100. Mm -hmm. Not only that, it becomes the biggest hit that, that Chicago ever had. It's bigger than the Peter Satira songs, you know, oh, like and all that. It's the biggest song they had. Full stop. Damn it. You guys could have had that song. Crap. I've let campus know that loads of times already. So. <laughs> oh, man. That's like one of those could have been kind of things. Well, okay, but the next album, Prisoners in Paradise, uh, yeah, I think there's seven demos for this song too, for this album too that are unreleased. And this yeah. one was this was Bo Hill producing it instead of uh 
Oh, so tell this story because originally you guys tried to get Bob Rock, but then he ditched you for Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> what a C word. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, the thing is, we, me and Joey went up to uh, uh, meet him in Vancouver, and you know, uh, we passed by. Uh, what's it? Little. What's the name? Little of Rock set? Studios. Little rock students, yeah. And uh, we took us out to dinner, and we we spoke about uh, the, the coming production, and we had a done deal. You know, our manager Herbie Herbert, who also produced, who also managed the Journey and, and Santana and Steve Miller Band, and and later Rock Set. He and he was best friends with the Bruce Bruce Farber. They mm-hmm. once a year they used to go deep sea fishing in in Newfoundland. You know. Where they would drink beers, smoke pot, do deep sea fishing, and just hang out, you know, all the big so ones in the music industry. Yeah. So they knew each other, and Herbie didn't feel that he needed a contract to deal with Bruce Fernberg, who was then Bob Rock's manager, by the way. He passed away since, but he, he was right. Bob Rock's manager. He was a producer prior to this, but he, he left his career solely to be able to manage Bob Rock because he saw the greatness in him. So what happened was uh, it was it was a done deal. We booked the studio. Everything was done, uh, and that was the feeling when we met him as well. And then one day, Herbie just called and, and said, "You know, we're fucked." Bob Rock jumped jumped the project. You know, he's going to do Metallica instead, and we were in deep shit there because our agents really started already started booking a new world tour. We would lose like eight, nine figures if, if we, if we, you know, maybe not nine, but eight figures if we don't figure this out. Just going on tour, going on a new world tour without a new album back in those days would be suicide. I mean, economical suicide. So, so we had to find a solution. And uh, uh, I'm so happy Bo Hill came along and did that and did a really good job. I met him prior to the way prior to this at the the concrete uh, convention, the concrete convention. Do you remember that? Mm. In, in in LA back in uh, back in the eighties, maybe it was before your time. Uh, I just bumped into him because I had Bo in in mind for Easy Action, for Easy Action's second album, because I okay. love his work with Rat. Yeah, yeah. He did some great stuff there. I loved his producing skills. And uh, so I had some contact with him prior to this. And then I bumped into him at the Concrete Convention and said, I would love to do your the band you're in now in Europe. And he said, well, I'm sorry. That, that's a good idea. But we just, you know, we just got Bob Rock to do the new album. It's like, good for you guys. He's great. He's doing great right now. Uh, definitely no hard for He was such a great guy, you know. And then when we called him, we were so lucky that he wasn't booked already because of mm-hmm. those producers of that magnitude, of that caliber, they were booked years in advance. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. So then, but then you end up seeing, Meta- you had to see Metallica because you played with them and Tesla later that year. Did you, did you talk to them about that? Like, hey, you guys stole Bob Rock from us or did you see them during those shows? Yeah, we saw that. No, no, nah, we didn't bring it up, you know. It, and it wasn't Metallica's fault. Oh, I mean, yeah, no. We were just yeah. happy with their success because they really got a, a new break with 
with a complete massive break with that black album we were just happy for them and really nice guys as well so uh, no it was actually a choice that bruce fairburn and bob rock made so i wasn't happy with those guys but then again life goes on and i worked with bob rock on a later occasion for all friends that's good. That's good. And then uh, tell me about this. I, I was uh, I was reading about this like just right before um, about how you like some of the you've done these guest appearances on a lot of uh, albums and things. And uh, one of them you played on Eric Carr's Unfinished Business uh, with also with AJ Perro from uh, Twisted Sister, who's also they're both obviously passed. Uh, but the track was called Elephant Man. And, and I listened to it. and I was like, wow, this is actually like a really good song. Do you, what yeah. memories do you have of that? Well, it's kind of complicated, but let, let's go. Well, first of all, I, I obviously wanted to be a part of this tribute thing, you know, postmodern record or whatnot. And uh, I I put down rhythm guitars, a guitar solo, and acoustic guitars, and then went through a, a, a couple of discussions, and I was notified that they were going to use my stuff, my guitars on on the the song, and then when I get the when they send me the record, <clears throat> sorry, when they send me the record, I realize it's only the acoustics they kept. Oh, and uh, so the lick guitars and the solo is not me, and the reason I didn't like that at all is because it sounds like shit. <laughs> <laughs> People that listen to it that know my stuff must have thought I had a stroke or something or a seizure in the middle of the session because it sounds like absolute crap. I don't know who the fuck is playing those guitars, but they sound horrible. So it's only the acoustic guitars. I okay. Yeah, I just like the melody of this. I didn't. I guess I don't I really like know. It. I like it too. I should have heard it with my guitars. It's much better. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That that's why would they have you and then use somebody? That's very bizarre. So. The other uh, guys that played on the track, they actually wrote the song together with Eric. So I guess that's why they had the final say and whatnot, you know? No, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's so many, um, I want to ask you about the, the music scene in, uh, in Sweden, because there's so many good bands there. I think Crash Diet, Hardcore Superstore, Shotgun Messiah, and uh, Crazy Licks is another one that I really, I think those all, those are all from Sweden, right? Yeah, Shotgun doesn't exist. I mean, that was right anymore. That was from Easy Action, and he moved to LA, so they act. They, they were all Swedish, but LA based. You know, uh, it, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of hard rock in Sweden. It's amazing. You know, uh, just to sort of wrap your mind around it. Have you seen on Netflix the documentary about Swedish metal aid? No. What is it called? I want to watch that. It's amazing. It, you know, it's Swedish hard rock musicians going together in 1985 doing sort of a Live Aid uh, uh, Bob Geldof charity thing together. I'm producing the whole thing, and Joey Tempest wrote the song and uh, recorded with like 100 rockers, Swedish rockers. Right, that's and, where you uh, met him, right? That's how he found you. Yeah, we knew each other from way before that, but that's when we worked together for the first time. And probably one of the reasons why everybody was so sure that I was going to be the new guitar player because there was I didn't do an audition or anything. We already knew each other musically, so to speak. But uh, there you get 
sort of a no, get the notion of how many people were playing melodic hard rock back then. It, it was like in, literally in every basement, there was a new metal band riffing away, you know, all over Sweden. There were loads of rehearsal places and just like a, such a movement. It was still sort of semi-underground. Uh, and, and this was actually, when we did this, Swedish metal latest single became a really big hit. It was the first time in Sweden in 1985 that hard rock was on, on primetime television. Hmm. Because they had an interview before this this show where they interviewed people on the people on the street. And they asked them, what the simple question, what do you think about hard rock? And most of the response was, oh, it's horrible. It should be forbidden. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> It's amazing. It doesn't feel like so long ago, 1985, yeah. but, you know, it was an underground movement. And, you know, the mainstream crowd, they didn't like it at all. And that, yeah. this, was, this was a turnaround, I think, for, for uh, a lot of hard rock in general in Sweden. They could actually see on primetime television that we were nice. We weren't eating uh, toddlers that were on fire. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Jeez, I don't think anybody did that. <laughs> not eating bat heads off bats. How's that? That's always the stereotype, I think, right? Yeah, that's a stereotype. But uh, or raw meat like uh, wasp, you know. And, oh and right, stuff. yeah. But but that's the thing crazy. is that uh, they saw us and we could actually sing and play and and behave like human beings. So that was a turnaround and possibly paved the road for Europe and all the other successes. From the hard rock scene in Sweden, you know. So by tradition, we have a lot of hard rock in Sweden. Quality, yeah. But like that's kind of a hot scene right now with like Crash Diet and, and Crazy Licks. I really like them. And is there other some other bands that are active right now that are up and coming or that are that are very big right now? Uh, I don't really keep track. I'm so busy in the studio, I can't really keep track. Uh, I, not that I know, but there's a lot of other bands that I forgot to mention. Uh, we have some interesting, no, I, I can't remember the names right now, but it's a big movement. A rock and roll is big in Sweden. And it's extremely big if you consider the fact that we're only 10 million. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, like it's a town. <laughs> it's like it seems like it's bigger there than it is like in the United States. Like it's more popular. It's because I, I I knew a guy that was from there, uh, he was around around that area, and he would say that over there it's different. It's it's more popular. It's still you know, it's not passe or whatever. It's still very cool. And oh man, I got to do the next interview. Oh crap! I'm so sorry. Yeah, I didn't know. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get going. Um, Although together, no problem. Yeah, we lost track of time. Sorry. Um, just real quick though, do you is there a charity that you want to give a shout out to? I always end with a charity. Is there a cause or a charity you want to mention here before we leave? Uh, well, I definitely want to. Uh, uh, Say something about the environment because it's. I mean, the, the, all the plastic that end up is and ends up in our oceans is really disturbing. Ooh, that is bad. Dolphins with plastic bags over their face is just horrible. So, Greenpeace for sure. Okay, I'll yeah. put that in there. People can throw a few bucks yeah. there after they, they buy your new album. So, uh, thanks. I'll let you get going, Keith. Thanks so much for doing this. Awesome, Chuck. Have a good one. All right, you too. Yeah. Bye bye. Great stories from Key Marcello. Believe it or not, I actually had more stuff to talk to him about, so I'll have to have him on again. 
Uh, the story of the Diane Warren song is just crazy. So go listen to Chicago's Look Away and then listen to Europe's Carry and tell me they aren't similar. And I think it could have been a really big hit for the band. Oh, well, uh, live and learn. But make sure to follow Key and his band out of this world on social media. Uh, of course, I'd love you to, for you to follow my podcast and subscribe to the show. And if you can, you can even write the show a review or rate it wherever you listen. Five stars, of course. And I appreciate all your support. Uh, have a great rest of your day. And remember to shoot for the moon. Yeah.